We're glad to be here with you, and um, I think I, I just, again, I, I don't want you to miss the moment we just had, um, and remember that we are of this world, but not of this world. Um, we live on planet Earth, but really, God made us from creation to have relationship with Him, to be in lockstep with His vision, His values, His heart. And we all get distorted, and we all are susceptible to sin and temptation to judge and to misread and to make assumptions and to criticize and to be prejudiced or not and to be ignorant of those things that we are. And that's all of us. So it doesn't really matter what your skin color is. It doesn't really matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you are on the, on, you know, in your company or where you feel like you are in society, that every one of us has room to grow, Period. And our model and our example is not anyone but Jesus Christ. He is the, uh, he is the leader of our time <laughs> and was the leader a thousand years ago and will continue to be the leader. He's the model. He's the standard. So if you're wrestling through, man, how do I need to act in these days? How do I need to live and respond? Just study Jesus. So if you don't have one of those Bibles that's got red letters, I encourage you, they're very helpful because you just get to read quotes from Jesus, all right? And so see what Jesus said about people. See how Jesus interacted with people and literally ask for the grace of God and discipline yourself to get that into our system and talk to people that you misunderstand. If our nation would simply go to the words of Jesus and talk to people, most problems would be taken care of. Talking and listening, let me add that piece. That's a little tip in marriage as well. So our country is where it is. But I want to start out today, and I started preparing this message Tuesday morning, uh, unaware of the events that would take place this week, but in preparation for us celebrating reopening and I would maybe say relaunching our church this summer and in an effort to look at Pentecost in light of as well as what's going on in our nation. I wanted to take us back a little bit historically because a lot of times we need to go back and to see what, what was already established, what was done to learn from that. And we may not have to reinvent a, bu a bunch of things. We just need to go back to what it was. Is it making sense? So we're going to look at this in two parts today a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of a look back, a journey in time to the founding of our nation in light of where we are today, and then we're going to go back a little bit and look back at the founding of the church and how those two things are coming together, all right? Now, the preamble of the United States Constitution is only 52 words, and the preamble actually introduces everything the Constitution is about to say, but more or less in summary form, giving it kind of authority. And the Constitution, if you're unaware, from class and school, there's 27 amendments and there were seven articles, and that's what makes up the Constitution. So I want to read for you the preamble because this will make sense in a few minutes. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity 
to ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. If you're not sure what half those words are, they're Old English. You can Google them later. I haven't heard many people mention posterity lately. But this is the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. I'm reading that because that is what our nation governmentally was established by, and there were people behind those words, right? And so at the time of the ratification of the Constitution in 1788, the future was unknown, right? Uh, the, the government structures were being formed. We were still in this war with the British. I mean, this whole thing was up in the air, going from colonies to potentially becoming a nation, a, a people, a melting pot, but put together as a nation. And this form of government was very unique. I mean, it was an American experience. It was an experiment. It literally was innovative at its time. Majority of worldwide governments um, uh, looked like tribal chiefs warring against each other, making pacts. It looked like kings and queens emerging and leading different nations and at wars with each other. It looked like uh, dynasties and families or, or empire rules or dictatorships, all sorts of forms. But this form, this American form, this idea of the way we're going to do government was very different, was very unique at the time. And many people actually came to this land prior to the Constitution being written, go back 100 plus years to the early settlers and the, and, and the immigrants who came from Europe, from Africa, other places, people that came over here. I was reading um, an article at the Library of Congress. I wasn't there physically, although I heard it's beautiful. Online, of course. I know many of you were searching on the Library of Congress this past week. But I found a summary that they put together in this one article about why predominantly people from Europe came over to America. Why do they really come? It says this, many of the British North American colonies that eventually formed the United States of America were settled in the 17th century by men and women who in the face of European persecution refused to compromise passionately held religious convictions and fled Europe. The New England colonies, like New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, were conceived and established as a plantation of religion. Some settlers who arrived in these areas came for secular motives, as one man said, just to catch more fish. But the great majority left Europe, not just to catch fish, but to what? To worship God in the way they believed to be correct. They left their continent because they were not given the freedom to worship the God the way they felt they should. They enthusiastically supported the efforts of their leaders to create a city on a hill or a holy experiment whose success would prove that God's plan for his churches could be successfully realized in the American wilderness. Even colonies like Virginia, which were planned as commercial ventures, were led by entrepreneurs who consider themselves militant Protestants and who worked diligently to promote the prosperity of the church. I read that to you because I want you to know that a large percentage of us, like it or not, descended from people who came here two, three, four hundred years ago, and that predominantly the people who started putting things into motion. And again, let me just say, there was no perfect person. So when you have in your mind like the pilgrims were just perfect people, that's not true. They had sin issues like all of us. 
And doesn't matter who you are and where you came from, everybody's got problems, societies are coming. But in America, people did come. And by the way, that's why our nation needed the first great awakening and the second great awakening and more moves of God because everybody who came wasn't actually all living righteous, although they had desires to be on some level, some did. But God is still at work today, which means the church still is needed today in our land. Our work is not done. The gospel has not gone forth, everybody, or else you wouldn't need any great awakenings. But obviously, there's a bunch of stuff going on. The Spirit of God is still at work today. But I want you to see that many of these people, if you read between the lines and you look at the history, the reality is they were being told and being controlled by a government and a set-up institution to say, it must look like this. Anything outside this box is not okay. And as we're about to read here in a few moments in Acts chapter 1 and 2, it's about to take anything in your box and just blow it wide open. So the early settlers, they followed their faith in the planting of churches in this new world, and they felt that the church actually was foundational, was necessary to a new nation, to a new society being formed. We don't think about that a lot, but the church was actually on the forefront of their minds of what needed to be established. And let me fast forward here and look at the First Amendment, right? These people come over, they're writing the Constitution, the First Amendment. Now, when you think first, you think priority, right? The Ten Commandments, the Old Testament. The first commandment wasn't honor your father and mother. They're in there. They're not number one. Number one is have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God. It's about him. When Jesus summed up the entire law and the prophets, when that lawyer tried to trick him, I think, and is saying, hey, sum it all up for Jesus, right, in Mark 12, and Jesus, being witty and sharp as he was, he said, well, let me do that for you. Now, I bet all the Israelites are like, hey, where was that for a thousand years? I mean, you know, just, so he comes out and he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. He literally summed up everything in a statement. It's like, how did he do that? He prioritized the love and the worship and the affection to God as paramount. Number one in the Ten Commandments. Number one by Jesus summing up the entire thing. So when I think somebody's writing down the First Amendment, what they're saying is, this is really important. The other things are also important. But there's a prioritization here. So let me read it for you. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Now, unless you have hidden in a cave the last three months, you have seen people assembling to protest or to share their grievances, be it about lockdown orders or different things. And this last week, you've seen people assembling. And not all of those have been people that are doing it peacefully, and not all have been all angry. There is a mixture of them. But in our First Amendment rights, it is given this opportunity to say, I don't like what's going on. I would like to say something about it. And we allow for that, and that is a good thing. Most nations on the earth do not allow for that. And at this time, I don't think any did, by the way. There was not a, like, you couldn't just say, hey, we don't like this king out with this guy. You couldn't do that. I mean, it was 
detrimental to your health and your future if you spoke out like that. Our government was set up such a way to say, you can, you can say what you really think, and we can have those dialogues and discussions. And the first thing they'll say in the First Amendment is about the church. It's not about free speech. It's not about the protest assembly. We always hear about the free speech. It's actually about the church. What it's saying is we do not want a government to be like the European state where the king or the queen is also the head of the church and they rule and control everything. Because where it got messy in Europe was that people realized if I will use religion for power and control and utilize money and resources, we can control the people in the name of God. That is why so many people in Europe and generations have cast off the Christianity and the church because of how twisted it's gotten. I probably would have too. The heck with that stuff. I know what my grandparents told me what, where that road led, but that is not the way the church started. As we will see here in just a moment, that is not the way the church started. The church started with a freedom for all people to come, for all people to know the Lord. So I love that in our nation, and listen, our nation ain't perfect, guys, but it is actually better than many nations. I, I say that not as in a competition, but actually the freedoms that we have are, if you don't believe me, you just need to travel a little more. Um, it's really true. So sometimes we get real tunnel vision, you know. Oh, look how terrible everything is. Let me, I'll give you five nations to go to, and then you'll be so glad you live here. I'm just being honest. So be, be careful what you judge without knowing what you're judging. Be it a nation or be it a race. It's either or. Don't judge what you don't know. Get to know people. Get to know places. Get to know God's heart for things. Then all of a sudden you see a little more clearly, and the whole point of being a Christian is actually to be more like Christ. He sees really clear. It was never fuzzy for him. But that's where we're trying to get to. Amen? So here we go, our First Amendment. You're wondering, I thought this was Pentecost Sunday. Oh, we're getting there. So here we go. At the time these words were written, you have to realize we were underneath this British rule. We were trying to throw off King George, so to speak, and establish our nation and say, no, we will give the freedom for religion to rule and reign, or not to rule and reign, but for religion to actually come where people can establish churches in different towns and people can be raised up. And that's what led into the Methodist movement and the Baptist movement. Churches were planted all over the place. You look at the history, the Baptists were amazing at planting churches. So were the Methodists. I mean, it was just, it was like the little church planters everywhere. It's like, you go now in Texas, you can't go to a town without a Baptist church being there. And it was there like 100 years ago. I mean, it's incredible. So like, just be grateful, not judgmental. Right? We ain't perfect. Antioch ain't perfect. I just make that statement. I lead this thing here. We got problems. Okay? There's no perfect church. All right? So, but what we want to do is we want to say, man, we want the Spirit of God to move. We want the gospel to go forth. I don't really care what form or shape because that's not up to me. I just care about God getting his. That should be the goal. I don't care if you clap your hands or sit on your knees and worship. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you have the Bible with red letters or one that's on audio. I have my own opinions, but that doesn't matter. I'm not the only one relating to God. <laughs> He's accessible to any and to all of any age, no matter where you are. And our nation was founded upon the principle, you can come from anywhere in the world and come and make a home here. And we've had to go through our challenges for sure. And it did not start out perfect. And there are many things I could go down the list. But the hope is that the church, the people of God, continue to be a voice 
bringing people back to what God originally designed, which is love and justice and mercy and kindness. And I'm telling you, our Constitution and our amendments were written with the biblical perspective in mind. It was in there. It's woven in there. It's not that every person pinning it loved Jesus and was a massive disciple maker. But there were some who knew the Lord, and they found a way to put pieces that work, that are biblical foundational pieces, into the governance structures of our laws or our land that no other country on planet Earth had at the time, and that is good, and that allows us to assemble here today freely without being told you can't do it. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1 here in just a moment. And listen, I don't know if you know this, but it was 12 weeks ago is the last Sunday we gathered here. Can you believe that? 12 weeks. Whoa, that's like nearly a quarter of a year. I mean, it's just like, whoa, it was a long time, just in case you forget. And Zoom was only cool like the first two weeks. You start getting headaches. And so if you're still doing virtual backgrounds, you can, you can get rid of that. Just I did them too. This is so fun. Then I was like, everyone's looking at me funny the whole time, so I need to just go back to normal, okay? So look, there, there is some novel things, right? A bunch of fun things, okay? Then it got old. Then we realized, wait a second, God made us to be together. That ain't going away, which means we got to take some risk. <laughs> you're here this morning, you're taking a risk. That's okay. And we, the people of God, are going to gather because that's what we're called to do, period. So here we go. The last 12 weeks we've been together, we are today, and as I was preparing for this message in this, this summer series, I felt like God, in a weird way, highlighted this preamble, and instead of it, we the United States, it's we the people, we the church. We the people. We the people of God and we the church. So what are we doing this summer? The next 12 weeks, we're going to redeem and take back what was lost, what was stolen, what was taken, by whatever circumstances may be. See, we're going to reestablish this family this summer, this church family. That's what we want you to buckle up for. And it starts today with how the church started 2,000 years ago, and we're really going to continue it. Amen? That's what we're doing so if you're wondering what we're doing this summer, we're establishing families. We're talking about the family values. These are not Antioch's values. These are biblical values. These are Jesus teaching kingdom values that we are having to put in some sort of phrasing so that we can go on board. Because listen, if you don't know what the family values are, you can't really be part of the family. You can show up to Thanksgiving and just by blood, but if you don't jive with them, that's really hard to be family. It's tough, right? But you, if you really want to act like family, you got to know each other you got to have a common set of values and rules. Hey, we don't do that. We do this. That's how we are. That's how we aren't. Like, we don't disrespect like that. We don't dishonor like that. This is not how we do it. I tell my kids all the time, I don't care about what every other kid does. I care about what the Hardys do. They can watch that. The Hardys will not watch that, and this is why. They play that. We are not playing that. This is why. Don't worry about them. Don't judge them. I don't care. They have, God has not given me the responsibility over them. Give me responsibility over you. And in this house, this is how we will honor the Lord, period. They do it differently somewhere else? That's not my problem. Because <laughs> I'm not here to control them. But I am here to pray for them. Man, God, get a hold of that family's heart. Man, God, help that father to quit screaming at his kids. He needs to know they just want his attention. <laughs> Instead of blaming, start praying. Right? Instead of pointing, start praying. Because trust me, your pointing's not going to really help. It's going to make it worse. But you're praying, that's how you get to their heart. 
Because the Spirit of God is all about doing that kind of surgical work on people's hearts. Amen? So we're talking about the family values this summer, but we're going to kick it off here in Acts 1. So here we go. I'm just going to prepare you. We're going to go a little long today, but knowing the state we're in and the coronavirus and everything, you probably don't have many plans today. So I couldn't always say that, but I know there's no organizational meetings. I know you don't have school. You're not going to work today, so I actually have you for a little longer. Here we go. And we don't have children's ministry. Thank you for all the parents who do have kids here. You're welcome to roam outside. I have many kids. They won't bother me. All right? So here we go. Day of Pentecost. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We're going to get moving here. Okay. Acts chapter 1. So, um, okay. So in the Old Testament, you had this thing called the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. And it was a celebration that happened 50 days after Passover. So the Jews would celebrate Passover going back to God setting them free from Egypt, from Pharaoh, right? The whole Moses narrative. They get out of Egypt, the Passover lamb, the blood was put on the doorpost, and that was a sign for the, uh, for the Lord to not destroy their family, to pass over them because the blood of the lamb was there. They then get out of Egypt. They then wander the wilderness because of their unfaithfulness. Eventually, the next generation, led by Joshua, becomes the one to actually lead them into the promised land, right? And so then they finally get to the promised land. Here we go. And the people of God, they continue to celebrate Passover, but then 50 days after Passover, which they would call the Feast of Harvest, eventually became called Pentecost, because it's for 50 days, Greek Pentecost, okay? So 50 days later, they actually then celebrated this holiday. And what was required at the time was for all the men, all the Jewish men who could make it, whether it took them a week or two or three weeks journey to get to Jerusalem, they would get on their camel or start running and get to Jerusalem. They would get there for the weekend. It was a big celebration, a big party, because Twice a year they sowed, and twice a year they reaped. And at this time, they didn't have H-E-Bs and Walmarts to go to. It was by the land. And if God didn't bring the rain and the sunshine, they were all going to starve to death. So when God did, they said, we're going to make sure we're going to celebrate and say, thank you, God, for giving us a harvest so we can eat again. And particularly, it was a wheat harvest, right? And so here's what happened. They would have these celebrations. Well, fast forward here in Acts chapter 1 and 2. We're about to see the day of Pentecost. This weekend was the party celebration weekend in Jerusalem, which meant you had men from all over already there. People speaking different languages from different regions. And on this weekend, this is when it all happens, right? Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus speaking to his disciples, right? He says, hey, baptism with water, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is coming. He's telling them something different is about to happen. Continuing on in Acts 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, a.k.a. America's included in the to the end of the earth. We are not in Jerusalem, Judea, or Samaria, okay? We're part of the end of the earth crowd. So praise God he included that. So Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples then gathered together, and they waited. Now remember, they said, when's the kingdom being restored? He said, I'm not going to tell you. Some of us don't like to hear God say, I'm not going to tell you that. But I thought you loved me. I do, and because I love you, I'm not going to tell you that. 
Whoa, we don't like hearing that, though. Remember, there's an inner circle. It's called the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're not in it. You ain't in it. You are not in that circle. You are invited into the family. You are not in that circle. Because they were in the beginning creating all of this. And there are things that they know that you and I will never know. I know. I've got my top ten questions I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. But I'll probably forget about them by then. Won't matter. So amazing. Well, I don't have any questions. Okay? That's probably what's going to happen, by the way. But So this is inner circle. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. they got this amazing plan that they don't let us in on all the time. But they will say, hey, just wait. Holy Spirit's coming. He didn't say when he's coming. He didn't say how he's coming. He just said he's coming. You see, God likes to give us the big picture there. We get all the details. And we get irked by that sometimes. Well, I'm supposed to know the details. No, you're not. You're just a person. Out of like seven and a half billion currently and probably 30 billion that have ever lived. Just a person. So in the grand scheme, you're just one person. But in God's eyes, he loves you. He knows you. He cares about you so much so he decided to send his only son to literally experience a painful, excruciating death so that you can live. So actually, although you're just one person out of billions, you matter that much. Isn't that crazy? That's a mystery you can't really solve. Why? For me? Yeah, for you and for him and for her. So here we go in Acts chapter 1. He says, hey, guys, I'm about to leave. So then he leaves. And they're like, wait a second, that just happened. Jesus just literally floated up, ascended, and he's there at the right hand of the Father now in heaven. And we're down here. What just happened? But Acts 2 comes. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's important. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so here we go. You ready? Pentecost arrives. Remember the wisdom of God. He chose the weekend that all the dudes would be in partying together. He chose that weekend to launch the church. Okay? Keep that in mind. This, this is like church launch weekend in history. Okay? So, again, we have the big picture. We know how it's going to happen. But what happens here? All right, let's just break it down for just a moment. They were all together. Okay? We know there was men and women who followed Jesus. We know the disciples are there, and there were other followers there. We don't have a list of the names. We don't have a roll call. But we can assume there was a mixture of people who had begun following Jesus over the previous three-plus years and were still faithful to him after the death and resurrection and after his ascension going up to heaven. Now there's no Jesus on planet Earth. Uh-oh. And these people are remaining faithful even though they're being persecuted and hunted down by some of the Pharisees and religious leaders. These people... They're hiding up or hanging out in a room, gathering together, worshiping, praying, fellowshipping, reciting the teachings of Jesus together, trying to kind of get this church thing going. But they didn't really know what it was called. But here they were gathered together. So here they are, all together, which is important. And then what happens? What happens is then God fulfills, Jesus fulfills the promises. Hey, he's coming and he comes. No one thought, I guarantee you, no one of the disciples thought, hey, guys, I know this is going to happen. Fire, floating, through the room, 
wind you can hear but you can't feel. It's like, oh, yeah, it was just, but it's like, just what's going on? I mean, just think about this. One of the weirdest five minutes ever. The only thing to make it weirder is if animals were actually doing, had the tongues of fire. I mean, that is what I meant. But God chose to use people as he has. Continue to do that trend. Thank you, Lord. He allows people to be those to carry the message. And so there they go. Tongues of fire come. I'm going to keep saying tongues until some of you guys just work through any awkwardness. Or do you want to stream? Just work it through. It's in the Bible. I didn't write it. Tongues of fire. So let's just break down tongues just a moment here. Without diverging into a whole number sermon series on tongues. Two statements. One, they are biblical. Two, they still exist. Another statement. Three, the different types of tongues. There are unknown and known tongues, right? Okay, so we will talk about the unknown tongues another day, right? Known tongues is what's happening here in this moment. Known tongues were languages that these people were getting from God who had no education, no Rosetta Stone, no training on how to speak these languages. And yet in the moment they get this language, a bunch of people, and all of a sudden it says that they were filled with the Spirit and began speaking in these known languages, which makes sense. It'd be silly if it was like, you know, a gathering like this. It's like we all speak English, maybe a few of us speak a couple other languages, and there's 30 languages. It'd be kind of, well, that's kind of worthless. None of us know what that guy's saying. But when you've got 20, 30 languages represented for a party weekend in Jerusalem, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And then the guy saying it, it's like, that guy has never learned my language. He doesn't even look like, what is going on? You can imagine they bewildered it. But God chose to start the church in the most strangest of ways. And unfortunately, we've tried to control that narrative, and put the Spirit of God in a box ever since. The church started with a very outside-the-box experience. But in the hands of people, we try to control it, manipulate it, and put it in a box that makes sense to us. That's why I said you're not in that inner circle. And the sooner you get clue of that, the more free you are to follow God. Let him be God and you be man. You be woman. <laughs> it's a lot easier that way. So here we go. Acts chapter 2, it's happening. And I love this last part here in verse 4, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. All. Men and women. The disciples and the non-disciples. Wait a second. You're telling me that the people in that room all were filled with the Holy Spirit? What, if, what, about, what about this guy? What about that personality type? What about that person? What about their past? They don't. They certainly don't deserve to get filled with the Spirit. I mean, in a moment, there's a people been with Jesus for three and a half years, and the guys that got on board last month. And they all get it. Well, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. They don't have a degree in Jesus. Why should they get the Spirit? Right? You know what I'm talking about. We are so quick to put our, our calculations Right? On the, on the deal. And then say, it doesn't make sense to me, therefore it cannot be. Be careful. Remember, faith is the things you can't see. Not everything you can. It's not faith, actually. Faith is what you don't see. Faith is what you don't even maybe fully understand. And that's part of following Jesus. So Pentecost happens. These people start hearing the languages. 
Acts 2, 15 through 21. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. Because these people accused them. They say, you guys are a bunch of drunkards. Look at you guys blabbing a bunch of stuff. It's a party weekend, so it would make sense they would accuse them of that. But, you know, Peter's like, hey, man, it's like 9 or 10 in the morning. It's just not even possible. We just got out of bed. We started worshiping. This thing happened. Since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. I want you to see everybody's included. Everybody's included. Doesn't matter your age. Here we go. Even on male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And verse 21, the best verse in this entire little deal right here, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's actually the best part, not the dreams and visions. Dreams don't save people. Jesus does. Visions don't save people. Jesus does. Prophecies don't save people. Jesus does. They may point to Jesus. Right? You hear stories all the time in the Muslim world of how Muslims are having dreams of a man in white. This is, there are millions of those stories currently on planet Earth. They go to bed in the middle of the night. They are awoken or in their dream. They have a picture of a man in white talking to them waving at them, saying words to them in their own language. They wake up, they go find someone who's a Christian or they know it's not following Islam, and they go and they say, tell me about this man in white. Who is this person? They're like, glad you asked. He's Jesus. And it clicks. That dream didn't get him saved, but it pointed them to go discover. Does it make sense? That's why when Joel prophesies, he's, this is what he's prophesying to, right? But he says, he says, here we go. In, the, in these last days, you know. And so Peter's going to go on. He says in 32 to 33, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's saying, guys, all this commotion what you're seeing and hearing is Jesus fulfilling his promise of the Holy Spirit coming upon a people. He said you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is that moment that's happening. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We've got to ask that question today. If you've not been cut to the heart in the wild, I would argue there is a callousness, there is a numbness, there is an apathy, there's a passivity, there's, a bitter, there's something that has gone over here so that your heart is not even receptive. You can't be there, guys. You can't follow Jesus with a hard heart. You can't say, I've been there, done that. You can't watch what's going on and just say, that doesn't matter to me. You've got to say, God, where am I off? I don't care what side of the line you fall on. God, where can I grow? God, where can I help myself? Lord, show me, pull the wool. Where have I missed it, God? Let me see. How do you see? It says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, here's this crowd of people. 
Brothers, what shall we do? Peter shares this amazing short sermon that is one-tenth of the time I've been talking. And it cuts them to the heart. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and were added that day about 3,000 souls. That is the beginning of the church. You know why I love the church? A lot of reasons. One reason is, it is the only thing that I'm aware of that was God-started in terms of an organization. There is no other organization that God started. Like, that's it. The church, that's why the church will remain. Through wars, through viruses, through earthquakes, it ain't going anywhere. We may have to be underneath a tree or a building. It ain't going anywhere. Church is meeting right now in countries all over the world. Even countries you would think there are no believers. There are believers there. They're meeting, groups of four, groups of ten, in secret, underground, in the woods, in the middle of the night. They're meeting. You cannot stop the church. You see, what started here nearly 2,000 years ago has never been put out. It has never stopped. In fact, when China cracked down on the church in the 1950s, 40s and 50s, it only grew. They just didn't know it. Do you understand? You cannot control the church. You cannot. And I would just say, if you are the church and you've got to control the Holy Spirit, control God, you will be on the decline. That's the way it goes. The Spirit of God is not here to be controlled. He's here to lead us. We're the ones that need him to lead us, to guide us, to convict us. It says, John, of all truth. So here we go, guys. The church started, and I love that it says, in all flesh. Remember, this prophecy from Joel, it is 600 years prior to this moment happening. That's a long time to wait for that prophecy. But you know what? It didn't start and end there. Oh, this year only, catch it while it's hot. Old men dream dreams. All prophesied just for this year, though, one and done. Uh-uh. It just started then. It's only massively spread. And I'm telling you right now, modern-day history, the church is growing the fastest where the Spirit of God is leading the way, not a man or a woman. Go down to Brazil sometime. It's wild down there. The Spirit of God is moving. Go to Africa the Spirit of God is moving. Even denominations, you may have written off in your mind, to be honest, the Spirit of God is coming and moving on people's lives, and all of a sudden they're realizing, wait a second, we've gotten this backwards. We've tried to control. We need to let them out. We need to be led, not controlling. That's where our country is founded. People felt controlled, and when they came to this land, they said, there's a chance. I love that statement. It said, we could more or less plant churches in the American wilderness. I love that. What guts? Hey, it's a bunch of craziness over here, but let's go for it. That's the church. That's the people of God. We the people and we the church. So 3,000 souls were saved that day. And I'm telling you, where we're going this summer is we're going to establish the family of God again. 11 years ago, we launched this church. I'm going to call today a relaunching. I forgot about the NASA thing, but I guess it all goes together. We are relaunching the church. Why? 
Because as far as I'm aware, never in our nation's history have we ever gone weeks without meeting as churches. I mean, that is genuine, literally unprecedented since our nation's founding. And I'm telling you, the church is coming back and it's coming strong. And it's coming a lot. I'm not talking about church, the institution. Okay? I'm talking about the people of God are rising up and realizing, you know what? Love and mercy and the gospel, it all really works, actually. Forgiveness and kindness and service and humility, it all works. Not judging your neighbor, seeing no one plank in your eye, that actually works. Conflict resolution, we have all the tools we need. Counseling, we have the spirit of God in each other in fellowship. Discipleship actually works. Behavior modification doesn't. Core beliefs change does. This is what actually works. This is the church. So you're here this morning because on some level you decided to come and to say, I'm going to re-engage. And you probably didn't know what it was going to be like this morning. You're not sure what's going to happen, but I'm telling you, we are shifting gears and saying the Spirit of God must lead us. The next 12 weeks we're talking about these kind of key family values for us as a people and what we see in the Bible. Each week we're going after them. But if you want to know what this family's about, the next 12 weeks is going to help you out. But we're starting today with the Spirit of God leading us because that's who's leading us. I am simply playing a role. I am a part of the body of Christ. There's head, feet, toes, ankles, elbows, and other stuff. I don't know how it all works, but it all works. So whatever you do in the kingdom of God, you're part of the family. And you're part of this family. You're part of this house. Amen? So once you stand, I'm going to invite the band up. Here's how we're going to end today. We're just going to invite the Spirit of God to come. Just as he came 2,000 years ago, he hasn't gone away. He's not in hiding. Um, he's not done, just so you know. We can talk about that later if you've got theological questions about it, but I would urge you just to read the book of Acts first um, and to see how the Spirit of God moves in many ways. And really, as the church, we're trying to get back to it. Remember earlier I said we've got to look back at what happened. Well, remember, our nation was founded with certain principles and ideals. We may have strayed from that on some level, but it doesn't mean we can't get back to that. While at the same time not going down the ditches we had previously that we've already found solutions for. The church was founded with people that were just genuinely following Jesus and needed the Spirit of God to come and empower them so they can actually go do the work that God asked them to do. That's what we're getting back to. We're not trying to reinvent church. We're not trying to do something different. We're just trying to get back to our roots. And the roots in the book of Acts, the roots are what, how the church started. Amen. Here's what we're going to do. So we're just going to worship here for a moment. We're not going to have a prayer team up here. Um, but, you know, I tell people oftentimes, God is attracted to hunger. I don't know why that is. I just, biblically and experientially, I've seen that he's more attracted to hunger than people that are already full. Does that make sense? If you're already full, like, if you're already satisfied with just Whatever it is you're doing, that's fine. You just don't have a lot of space, though, for him. It's kind of like you've just filled your room up with a bunch of stuff, and you kind of tried to peek in. There's not really much room in there. Okay. But when he shows up to an empty room, he's just say, hey, I've emptied myself. I'm just ready, God, whatever you want to do. There's a lot of movement there. So if you're here this morning, I just actually want to encourage you. If you need to move around the room, you can do that. We've got lots of space, golly. Um, but move around. But... I just want you to consider inviting the Holy Spirit to come upon you in a fresh way this morning. 
You may have been baptized in the Holy Spirit before. You know, you, you may, this may be new language for you, but you have to remember that the Spirit of God is there to empower you, to encourage you, so you actually look more, sound like Jesus. That's the goal. And so whether you feel something or not doesn't really matter. You know, the, the disciples didn't know about the fire tongue thing. That was totally weird. But it started the church. So I'm all about that. So if God wants to do something different today or tomorrow or the next day, it's up to you to decide, are you, are you going to be open to that or kind of control that? And remember, he's a good, good father. He just wants your best. And and so if you position your heart and just say, Lord, I'm just, just want more. I remember for years in college just kind of saying, God, I don't even know what it is. I just want more of you because <laughs> I'm tired of my junk and playing my games and walk on the line of sin and not. It's just, I'm just tired of that. I'm just telling you, when when the Spirit of God came in a more powerful way in my life, sin just became like a lot less of a distraction. I don't know how to tell you. If, like, if you're struggling, you need more of the Spirit of God. And you need more of the Word of God. When those two work together, that's unstoppable. You will have victory, I guarantee you. I guarantee you. You put the Spirit of God and the Word of God together, that is unstoppable. So if you're not reading the Word, read the Word. Don't just pray for more of the Spirit. And if you're reading the Word and memorize it, and you haven't asked for the Spirit of God, you need that. It's both working together. It's not either or, it's both and. As a church, as a people, we are going to reestablish this family. It's about the Word of God and the Spirit of God, because that is how we worship. We worship in spirit and in truth. That is what we want to be, true worshipers. <laughs> Spirit of truth. And sometimes we've got to go after one if we're missing it or need a fresh filling of it. Amen? Remember the day of Pentecost, it says all were filled, not just a chosen few. So if there's a lie in your head right now saying, oh, I'm not worthy for that. I'm not, I don't know where that's coming from. It's not from him. If this is your first day here. If you got saved this morning, welcome. If you don't know Jesus, that's your first step. Peter said, repent of your sins. <laughs> so if you're here this morning, you need Jesus, just call upon him. I don't have to give you all the words. Call upon him. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I need saving. But if you're already saved, you said, I, I know Jesus. He's vouched for me. He's between me and the wrath of God. I'm good. I'm, he has saved my soul. I've given him everything. And then, hey, let's get a filling of the Spirit. Because, guys, our nation's not changing just with words. We need a move of God. Amen. So, Lord, we just ask for you to come right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill us in this place. So we're asking this for us, for we. We the people, we the church, Lord, we need the Spirit of God to come upon us, not just ones and twos, but all of us, Lord. Everyone watching through the stream, we need the Spirit of God to come into every house, every living room. You watch it today, you watch it tomorrow, you watch it next week. Spirit of God, come into every room right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask you, we invite you to come in this place, Lord. We need you, Lord. We need the spirit of unity. We need the bond of peace. We need you to come and cut our hearts and to say, Lord, heal the broken places. Fill us. Give us strength again and energy. When we feel dejected and discouraged, give us hope again, God. Work it through, Lord. We want to be changed by your spirit. So come and have your way this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.